Good morning. Welcome to Trinity. We are glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. We went off track of the lectionary for a little bit, talking about our vision and values. And, uh, well, yesterday we were on track with the lection. I mean, last Sunday we were on track with All Saints reading. And now today we're just back on track with our regular old readings. And the great thing about the lectionary is that it brings up passages that maybe aren't our favorite passages. Maybe aren't the passages a preacher like me would just select and choose if we were going to decide, what do people need to hear this morning? Um, but yet these very passages are none other than the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ for us. And it, it's a wonderful thing to belong to a church where we preach the whole Bible. A lot of you will know the oldie but goodie, Mama said. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said. I wish I could sing. I was just singing for you guys like Will Ferrell does when he gives a speech. Somebody's mama was doing their job. She was prepping her little girl for the days ahead. And I imagine it's probably after a good full summer's day of play and a warm bath while brushing her hair Mama said that not all days will be like this one. There are going to be some difficult days ahead. Mama said there will be days like this. There will be days like this, Mama said. There are many experiences in life that are painful. And expectations are critical. If Mama has prepped us for what's ahead then we might be able to navigate the storm a little better, right? Mama's got some wisdom. Mama knows what she's doing. And in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus is kind of like Mama. In his wisdom and love, he is warning them of what is ahead. And he is telling the people to be ready. Because although the sky is blue and the majestic walls of the temple are reflecting the warm sunshine, it won't always be this way. In fact, a day is coming when your entire world is going to fall apart. And so our question this morning is, what if such a day might be coming for us as well? What are you going to do when your entire world falls apart? For some of us, we feel like, well, this has already happened. It was a divorce, the death of a parent, the loss of a business, the moral failure of a church leader you held in high esteem, maybe learning the dark history of a family member, who lived a dual life. And then some of us might actually feel fortunate at this moment that you say, hey, I don't know what that feels like. My guess is that after the pandemic, most of us at least know in part what it feels like for the world to fail us. And I would say that if you don't know yet what it's like to be in a real crisis, to feel like everything you have known and trusted is failing you, 
then it is probably only a matter of time. So what are you going to do when your entire world feels like it's falling apart? In our gospel text this morning, Jesus tells the people that their entire world is soon going to fall apart. There's actually going to be a pile of rubble at the center of your universe, the very place where God has promised to meet you, to display his beauty and his goodness, is actually going to display the darkest image you could ever imagine. Your catastrophic demise at the hands of your pagan oppressors. Most Jews lived around the Mediterranean. They lived conducting their businesses in major urban centers like Ephesus or Antioch or Alexandria or Rome. But they knew that they could always return home. The temple was that place that they could go back to year in and year out and where they could feel that deep sense of belonging. Jerusalem was not only the religious, but also the cultural and political and economic center of Jewish life. And now Jesus is telling them, get ready. The center of your universe is about to implode. And he goes on to warn them. He says, hey, you're going to hear about wars and insurrections, and the Romans are going to come in 70 AD. And then there's going to be some people that are going to say, hey, you know, God's on our side. Let's fight against them. We've got this. But don't believe them. And then there's going to be earthquakes and signs in the sky. And these are the kind of things that we would expect when God is doing something decisively in human history. But before all of this happens, before all this really terrible stuff happens, be ready for persecution. You're going to be arrested, brought before kings and governors because of my name. And I'm going to give you the words to say, and you're going to testify, and you're going to be my witnesses. But some of your own family members are going to turn on you. And they're going to betray you. And some of you are going to be put to death because of my name. But by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Now, I can imagine that some of you are thinking right now, okay, John, thanks, you know. Uh, Thanks for sharing these encouraging words with us this morning. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I know that life is challenging. I know that some of us are doing really well. But I know that others of us are just struggling to make it through the week. We're in difficult career situations or difficult family situations, and there's a lot of negativity and discouragement all around us. I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. I like to stay informed and know what's going on in the world, right? So I'll listen to NPR and the radio. And I never arrive at my home feeling better about the world, right, when that's done. We live in the world where it can be hard to stay encouraged. And I'm sure that some of you, like me, perhaps this morning, you came to church hoping for an encouraging word. And instead, you find Jesus saying, well, actually, you should expect things to fall apart. (laughs) And before it does fall apart, expect serious persecution if you decide to follow me. And friends, I want you to know, that even though these forecasts from Jesus 
can feel a little bleak, I'm actually hoping that we can recognize that there is also a message of hope and promise, actually the promise of life in the midst of real trouble and even certain death. I have a friend who was in many ways a model church member. She had raised her kids in the church and she served faithfully and did all the things that we would expect. She gave generously, she she supported missionaries and everything seemed to be good with her and her faith. And then one day out of the blue, she came home and found her dear husband lying dead on the floor. And suddenly, she found that she just couldn't bring herself to go back to church, to go back to the church that she had attended faithfully for decades. And why? Well, I'm sure there are a lot of answers, and I can't be sure to all of them. But I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that her pastor never told her about how Jesus said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this, Jesus said. There are lots of well-meaning churches that see Christianity as an easy solution to life's problems. If you just follow Jesus, everything will get better. And friends, that might sound like good news, but the real good news of the Christian gospel is even better than that. The real message of Jesus offers real hope in the midst of real life trouble. And in our text this morning, Jesus offers no easy way out. In fact, there is no way out. Tribulation is on the way for you and for me and for all of us. And it's an important point of biblical theology that many of us will miss Jesus doesn't say that the judgment is only going to come on the bad people and that somehow the good people are going to escape or that if you follow him, somehow things are all going to come out all right. Some of us grew up with this kind of secret rapture theology that God's just going to kind of suck away all the good people and all the bad people that are going to be kind of left here as the world burns. But if you listen to Jesus' words, we're actually here for it. No, the Romans are coming. And it's actually bad news for everyone. Following Jesus won't fix it. But following him will change how you respond to what is happening. And it will possibly give you the hope that you need to endure. Friends, the Christian faith is not escapism. Rather, it is a message of hope and promise of life in the midst of real trouble and even certain death. I want to talk about two things. The first one's control and the other one is easy answers. I want you to know that true hope comes when we stop trying to control. Let's just be real this morning. A lot of us struggle with control. I know I do. I listened to an interview Uh, this week with an author named Sharon Hottie Miller, who is a a pastor, and she wrote a book on control. And as she shared about her struggle with control, I was really resonating. As a pastor that leads people, 
as in Enneagram 8. I don't know if you guys believe in the Enneagram, but if it's true and I could be an 8, then I would struggle with control, and I do. I'm often tempted to, to control people and to control outcomes. And did you know that God's plan for me as an ordained leader in his church is to inspire and encourage people toward a good future, but without trying to control and manipulate people or outcomes. I'll say that again. God's plan for me is to inspire and encourage people toward a good future, but without trying to control or manipulate outcomes. God doesn't need me to control the outcome. Now, I need to hear this for sure, but possibly I'm not the only one. And we're all here leading others in some way or another, right? You're leading your family, somehow you're leading your coworkers. And the desire for control can be a temptation for any one of us. And Sharon Hottie Miller makes the connection between control and the prosperity gospel. And she says that the prosperity gospel is broader than some of us might think. You guys ever hear this prosperity gospel? I think a lot of times we think of it like this. Okay, if I'm good, if I have enough faith, then God is going to bless me with a new car, right? And so we kind of like reduce it to that, right? God's going to give me some nice new stuff and bless me. And we can reduce it to that and easily dismiss it and think we're so much smarter than people that might think that way. But she says the prosperity gospel is broader than we might think. She would expand it to sound something like this. If you have the right amount of faith or if you live right, God will bless you and you will avoid evil and God will prevent you from being the victim of calamity. Essentially, if you think in any way that when things are going well and God is blessing you, it's because you did something right. And if you did something bad, you think it's because you sinned and God is punishing you, then you are basically believing in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is all about control. We want to control God's behavior with our actions, right? We want to do good things so that God has to then act in a certain way. The disciples are struggling with this, right? They come to Jesus and they say, hey, this blind guy over here, is he blind because of his sins or because the sins of his parents? They want to know what sin causes blindness so that they can avoid becoming a blind person, right? And that their kids don't have to be blind, right? They want to know. And in our gospel reading this morning, it's all about how we aren't in control. And we don't get to be in control. Friends, you can't have enough faith to avoid the impending destruction. Be as good as you like. The temple is still coming down. Have all the faith you want. The Romans are still coming. Pray. Read your Bible. Go to church. You're still going to be persecuted and betrayed by your family. Now, this can sound bleak, but it's actually a word from Jesus that brings us great freedom. 
because it means we don't have to try to control the outcome. And once I realize that I'm not in control, I can start to put my hope in the one who is ultimately in control. The one who promises life for us who will endure the hardships. True hope comes when we stop trying to control. Second, true hope comes when we stop looking for answers. As Christians, and especially preachers like me, we love to have the answers for people. We like to be answers, and we really want that answer to be the Christian faith. The author, Frederick Buechner, points out, he says, we feel like we have to have an answer because everybody else is giving answers. Transcendental meditation is an answer. And the Democratic Party is an answer. Or the Republican Party. Or acupuncture. Or acupressure are answers. And so are natural foods. Yogurt and brown rice. Yoga is an answer. And transactional analysis and jogging. They're all answers. I didn't even know what transactional analysis was. I had to look it up. <laughs> Evangelical and fundamentalist Christians love answers. They call it practical teaching. Come hear our sermon series on how to fix your marriage or how to be a better business leader. And at the end, we'll even tell you how to fix your sin problem too, right? Throw that one in. And liberal Christians love answers too. If we all just embrace the way of Jesus, we're going to solve all of our problems, eliminate homelessness and poverty and racism and bigotry and on and on. And it's likely the case that many of us here were sold Christianity as an answer to our problems. And no wonder that so many of us are having a crisis of faith when suddenly the easy answers are not working to solve our toughest problems. Jesus is telling people about the destruction that is coming, and they come and they ask him, they say, teacher, when will this be? They're trying to control it. They're trying to get ready. What will be the sign this is about to take place? And then he tells them this, hey, don't be led astray, because many people are going to come in my name and say, I am he. In other words, I'm the Messiah. I'm on the scene to fix this, right? And then they're going to say, oh, the time is near. Like, this is the time when God's about to act decisively and save us from the Romans. So jump in with me and my army, and we're going to do this. And what's Jesus' advice? What does he tell them to do? Do not go after them. In a sense, do nothing. In the middle, there's going to be these false prophets showing up with easy answers, and they're going to have solutions. And Jesus wants them to know that there's nothing they can do to fix it. And there's no easy answer. Do nothing. Don't try to fix your situation. Don't go after the folks with easy answers. True hope comes when we stop looking for answers. We Americans are addicted to practical Christianity. But there is nothing practical about getting handed over to magistrates and betrayed by your family. This morning, Jesus is calling you to a deeper faith, one that trusts him, 
despite the fact that your world is falling apart. Once we stop thinking of Jesus as the easy answer, we began to truly love him for who he is. We began to put our hope in him. And then we developed the kind of confidence that he will be with us through the pain and will also be waiting for us on the other side. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this, Mama said. We can face the troubles of this life without losing faith in Christ because Christ told us, in fact, that there will be trouble. In a similar passage in John 16, Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace in the midst of trouble. How? Knowing that Christ has already overcome the world. Knowing that he became poor for you. Knowing that he became the victim of injustice. He was arrested and persecuted and imprisoned and brought before kings for your sake. He was betrayed and put to death on the cross and through the cross overcame sin and death and the power of the world. He endured till the end and his endurance has gained your soul. God grant us grace not to lose faith in the midst of trials and suffering, but remind us of the one who came to suffer with us and who through suffering overcame the world. Amen. I invite you now to a moment of silence as we reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to us in this time.